0: Northridge how are you guys so good to see you my name is Pete I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge and when you welcome all of you and welcome those of you watching online we're so glad that you're with us as well and I think it's I, I think it's cool sometimes I think about this that every one of you had a choice on whether or not to be here today right And those of you watching online, you had a choice for whether or not you would sit down in front of your TV or computer or whatever. Like, you made a choice to be here. And I don't think that's by accident, right? I think that you are here for a reason and a purpose today. And I have no idea what God wants to do in your life, in your heart, uh, in your family. Who knows? But I'm glad you're here because by just making that choice to be here, right, you put yourself in a position where the God of the universe could move in your life. And I think that's such a cool thing, right? So today, we're actually wrapping up this encounter series that we've been in for a couple months now, where we've been looking at these different encounters that Jesus had with ordinary people, but how in that encounter, their ordinary life became extraordinary because of that encounter. And more importantly, we've been looking at these encounters because it's not just looking back 2,000 years ago at this man Jesus who had these encounters with these people, but that Jesus still wants to have an encounter with us today. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about fear. And I think it's really timely uh, because the reality is we live in a world where there's a lot of fear. I was reading an article this week about greatest fears that people have in 2023. At the top of the list, was political uh, unrest around the world, not just in our country, but around the world. And I get it, right? There's plenty of things to fear about. If you follow the news you saw just a couple days ago, at least for a while, it looked like there was 20,000 mercenary troops that were marching towards Moscow. It's kind of a big deal since they have a bunch of nukes, right? Like that, oh my gosh, this country, like you look around the world and there's so many things that can create fear inside of you, right? Uh, We look just here in our own country and there's some economic unrest, right? And we're kind of like, oh, what's the economy doing? Am I gonna have to continue to pay four bucks for gas for the rest of my life? Like we've got an election that's not too far away. There's like 500 people running for president. I'm considering running myself. I mean, why not? No, no, Listen, I'm not even going to be on my HOA board, okay? So, like, it's cool. I have zero desire to, like, go in that direction with my life. But you get what I'm saying, right? There's plenty to fear. And that's just when we're talking about, like, on a large scale. But the reality is for every one of you, you have some fears in your own life, right? There's some things going on. Maybe you have some fear about your personal finances. You have some fear about a loved one that's sick. You have some fear over your kids and maybe some of the choices they're making. Maybe you have some fear in your vocation that feels a little shaky right now. And that dream of getting that corner office seems further away than it ever has. Fear is a very natural response for human beings. And we tend to fear whenever there's something that's unknown right? When, when Whenever you can't figure out how it's all going to work out, right, and you feel like your safety and security is at risk, a natural response to that is fear. Part of what I want us to understand today that I think is really important is this is nothing new. I know it feels like we're in a time where, you know, no human beings have ever had to face these kind of different events and scenarios that, that we have today. I get that, right? And, the, and some of our Our challenges are unique. But the reality is, fear has been a human response from the beginning of time. And 2,000 years ago, when Jesus had the opportunity to be right here on this earth talking to people, one of the things he said more than anything else, in fact, it was more than anything else, he said, Don't be afraid. Jesus said this 15 times in the four Gospels alone Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 15 times he said, don't be afraid. Why? Because he knew that fear was something that people were struggling with at that moment and that they would continue to because life is full of these unknowns. Life is full of uncharted territory, right? That's just part of it. And part of what we see and we'll see in this story today that when Jesus said, don't be afraid, he was in no way trying to entice us to live a fear-free life. In fact, if your goal is to have a fear-free life, you just guarantee that you're never going to have a fear-free life. The more you try to focus on how can I fear less, guess what? The more fear you're probably gonna have in your life. So the focus for Jesus was never on how to live a fear-free life. It was always about how do you trust God more? That's the antidote. Don't try to fear less. It's how do you trust God? God more, and that's really the whole point of this encounter that we're looking at today between the Jesus and the twelve disciples. One of the twelve is going to have a very unique encounter with Jesus that's going to change his life forever. Right. So let me set this story up. Uh, Jesus had been teaching to five thousand people. They got hungry. He did a really cool miracle, and he took a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. He multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people with it, right? Everybody's freaking out. They're like, that is awesome. So, somebody gets the idea like, somebody needs to make this guy king, right? Because if he could take a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people, imagine what he could do for a country, right? Imagine what he could do with an army if this guy were king. And so we make the assumption that the disciples kind of caught on at that momentum. And they were like, yeah, that's a great idea. We should make Jesus king. He should be the king. And Jesus is pushing back and he's like, "Uh, I'm not here to be that kind of king. And so Jesus does something that we see him often do whenever he started to get mass momentum. Right? Whenever there's a large crowd of people who are kind of singing his praises, trying to distract him from his main purpose for being here, he hits the pause button. Now, for those of you that are in business, you know this is not a great business plan, right? This is not a great personal brand plan. Whenever you're getting momentum is when you really need to kind of go after it. That, that's when you need to take advantage of that. Jesus isn't worried about any of those things, he knows his purpose. He hits the pause button. He gets the disciples away from the crowd. He puts them on a boat and he says, I want you guys to sail the other side. I'll meet you there. So being in a boat's not that crazy of a thing for the disciples, uh, it was a common way they traveled. Several of them are professional fishermen. They had spent their life on a boat, but this journey is gonna be a little bit different because that night while they're sailing across, they encounter a storm. And that's kind of where we pick this story up. Matthew chapter 14 says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, talking about the disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. So it's kind of like a double dose of terror, right? They're in a storm. It's dark. They're scared. The waves are crashing in. The wind's blowing. And then on top of that, they see a dude walking on the water, right? So it's like this double fear. They are terrified, It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So that's one of the 15 times he's going to say this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. So for a minute, it's not going to last long, but for a minute, Peter's walking on water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, I think that's important, they, Jesus is with them the whole time. Jesus climbs into the boat with them. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Right? It's an encounter that none of them are ever going to forget. Right? but especially Peter in this moment. This is a big moment. Now, here's my challenge, all right? Because again, I don't want this to just be a story that we read about and we're like, oh, that's cool for them. I wanna put ourselves in the midst of this. And so my challenge for you is if you wanna be a water walker, right? If you you wanna see something amazing happen in your life, if you want God to use your one and only life for something great, right there's a few things you need to know about water walking all right and here's the first one there's four of them number 1 is this anything god leads you to do initially will involve some level of fear right it's going to be there i mean think about the story who sends the disciples into the storm jesus right jesus is the one who sends them off into the storm they would have to learn just like we have to learn that just because you're obedient to Jesus does not mean that you're going to be spared adversity and discomfort, right? I think a lot of us have convinced ourselves, or maybe even somebody convinced you, they kind of dangled this carrot that, hey, if you follow Jesus with your life, if you do the right thing, it's all going to be smooth. But that's not reality, is it? No, that's a crock. It really is. It's it's like the, the reality is just because you're obedient to what God has called you to do in your life does not mean that you're going to be spared adversity and discomfort. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus created the storm. But what I am saying is that Jesus used the storm. He could have created the storm. Maybe he did. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But he did use it. Because what does the storm do? The storm gets their attention. Right. And now that Jesus has their full attention, he's going to give them a moment to learn and lean into him in a way that they never have before. Now, I believe that some of you right now are in some kind of storm and a storm could be anything in your life where there's a scenario, a circumstance where for some reason you don't feel like you're in control and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Right? Remember I was talking about the unknown, that's where the fear comes in? You're in a situation right now where you don't know how it's gonna turn out, and so you have some apprehension. You have some fear. In fact, if you feel like you're in some kind of storm right now in your life, a situation where you just don't know how it's gonna turn out, it's bringing up a little fear for you, would you just raise your hand right now? I just wanna kinda of get an idea. Okay, all right. So it's probably the majority of us find ourselves in at least one of these scenarios. The thing that I think you need to hold on to right now in your life is understanding this principle that discomfort is temporary, but growth is permanent, right? The the discomfort that you feel right now, very natural, right? There's a situation in your life that's out of your control. You don't know how it's going to turn out. It's uncomfortable. You have this discomfort. It's okay, Right, The discomfort is going to be temporary, I promise you. I'm not saying it's gonna work out exactly the way you want it to work out, but that discomfort is temporary. You've felt it before, right? This isn't new, you've been here before in your life. The discomfort is temporary. The growth, what you're gonna learn, how you're gonna grow personally through this, that can be permanent, right? And so what I'm trying to learn to do in my life when I find myself in these situations where there's a lot of discomfort, there's a lot of fear. It's just like, I'm actually gonna hold on to this storm until I learn what it is that I need to learn. Until I'm transformed in the way that I need to be transformed, I'm gonna trust in this moment, I know this discomfort is temporary. The growth is invaluable and it's permanent. Here's the second principle you gotta understand if you're gonna be a water walker, and that is that the greatest purpose of your life cannot be discovered while you're hiding. So let's talk about the boat for a second, All right? The boat is safe. The boat is secure. The boat um, is is like, it's comfortable. On the other side in your life, there's a storm. And the wind is strong and the waves are high, right? And, And you've got a lot of fear going on in your life. And if you get out of the boat, whatever your boat is, Right, if you get out of the boat into the water, there's a chance that you might sink. But if you don't get out of the boat, there's 100% certainty that you're never going to walk on water. So here's the whole message in one sentence. If you wanna walk on water, you gotta get out of the boat. That's the whole sermon. We could all leave and go have lunch together if you want. Now don't clap for that. I'm going to use up a little more of your time, right? I want all this to kind of sink in, but that's it, right? If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. So let me ask you a really important question. What's your boat? Right, what's your boat? Now the boat, again, the boat represents anything in life that we look to for safety and security apart from God himself. So the boat could be a lot of things. For some people, it's money, right? Right. And, and you've had this kind of goal your whole life, and you think if you made X amount of dollars um, that it'll make you feel safe and secure. It's the interesting thing about all goals that we set in life. Generally speaking, we're chasing a feeling. Actually, it's an illusion of a feeling, right? We, we think that there's a feeling that we're gonna have if we achieve this or if we achieve that. So this is why some of you years ago, you're like, if I could just make $60,000 a year, I will feel so safe and secure. Like, I'll have a lot more peace. And then you made $60,000. How did you feel? It didn't feel like you thought it was going to feel, did it? And so you're like, oh, I just got the number wrong. It's 100000 If I make 100000 right, then I'll feel safe and secure. So a couple years later, you made 100000 How did you feel? Still didn't give you the feeling you were looking for, right? It's the crazy thing about these boats and these things that we look to in our life for safety and security. We get it. And it doesn't give us that feeling, so we're like, "Oh, yeah, maybe more of what didn't give me the feeling would give me the feeling, right?" And so we just kind of keep going and going. Uh, your boat could be approval and acceptance of other people, and that's been uh, that's your primary driver. You're like, if I could just get everybody to accept me and like me, then I'll finally feel safe and secure and worthy and valuable. But what have you discovered? It's a problem, right? You can't get everybody to like you and approve of you, but you keep trying anyway, because you're chasing after that feeling of safety and security. The boat is anything that you look to for safety and security apart from God. And I think it's really important, if you want to get the most out of this, you have to understand what that boat is for you. What does that look like? What is it that you've been chasing after for so long to give you the safety and security? And you're hiding. You're hiding behind or in that boat. And one of the things you have to understand is you can survive while you're hiding, but you're not gonna thrive while you're hiding. To thrive at some point, you have to get out of that boat. Here's the third principle. Fear will never go away. Right? It's really important. If you wanna be a water walker, you have to understand that the fear's never gonna go away. There was a popular uh, bumper sticker back in like the 80s, 90s, that said, uh, no Jesus, no fear. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand if you had that bumper sticker. Uh, I didn't, because I didn't have a car then, but um, a lot of Christians had it. it, it, it it's, I get it, I get, I get the sentiment of it, it's just theologically inaccurate, uh, because there's, there's never been this promise that if you know Jesus, that somehow you're gonna have no fear in your life. In fact, the reality is that fear and growth is kind of a package deal, right? And the deep truth about water walking is that the fear never goes away. It never goes away. Why? Because every time I accept a new challenge, I move into a new area of growth in my life, every single time it it forces me out of my comfort zone right and, and there's something inside of all of us like Again, I don't know what it is in your life right now that you sense God's kind of prompting you to do. Maybe it's a relationship thing, a financial thing, a vocational thing, I have no idea. What I do know is that most of us, before we take the first step, we wanna try to figure out the last step, right? Before you begin, you're already trying to figure out the end and you think that clarity is gonna help you, right? The problem is you're never gonna figure out the last step until you take the first step. You're never going to figure out the end. Some of you are so focused on the end that you actually never get around to the beginning. See, the problem with that, you're waiting, somehow you think that the fear is just going to dissipate and you're going to have this massive amount of courage and you're going to step into that moment. But the reality is the fear really never goes away. One of the biggest questions that people ask me whenever I talk about something like this is, Pete, When do I know that I'm ready? Like, when do I know that I am ready to get out of the boat? When do I know that I'm ready to trust God in this area of my life? And my answer to that, this may not be encouraging to some of you, but my answer is, you're never gonna be ready. No, you're never gonna be ready. This is the, the truth about your life. You are never gonna be ready for some of the most impactful moments of your life. You're never gonna be ready. The good news is that God loves using people who aren't ready. He loves to use people who aren't ready. It's all he has to work with. right? Think about the Bible. Show me a story in Scripture where God shows up to somebody and says, I've got a mission for you. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And their response was, awesome, I'm ready. Let's go. I got all the gifts for that. I got all the resources for that. Like, I am fully rested and ready it never happened, not one time, right? The, the reality is we're never really ready, but we can trust God. And so if you wanna make an impact, big or small with your life, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to, it's part of being a water walker. Here's the fourth thing you need to know, and that there are things that are worse than failure. There are some things that are worse from failure. Um, did Peter fail? Technically, yes, right? But, but here's where I'm going to spin this story a little bit, because I grew up in church, and I heard this story from the time I was a little kid, and it was always presented to me as uh, Peter failed. Uh, Peter stepped out of the boat. He walked on water for a second, but he took his eyes off Jesus, and he put it on the wind and the waves, and he sank, right? He failed. And technically, that's true. He did. He sank. He failed. But here's what I think. It's a bigger part of the story. I think there were 11 other bigger failures that day. And there were the 11 guys who stayed in the boat. And they failed quietly. They failed privately. They weren't criticized. Yes, Peter is the only one who knew the pain of public failure. And if you've ever had public failure, it has a unique sting to it, right? It's, it's even worse than just failing privately. You're failing in front of everybody. So Peter knew that. I'm sure they gave him a hard time. I imagine when Jesus and Peter climbed back into the boat together, they're looking at Peter like, who do you think you are? You tried to walk on water? Like, Peter, your name literally means rock. (laughs) What did you think was going to happen, bro? Like, that was not going to turn out well from the beginning, right? Like, I'm sure they gave him a hard time about this but I think the other 11 were bigger failures. See, this is what keeps me up at night. I think a lot, probably too much, I obsess about this sometimes, about how different my life would have been had I trusted Jesus in some key critical seasons of my life where I feel like I didn't, right? There's some moments that I've stayed in the boat because of fear, fear of criticism, fear of losing approval, fear of what might happen in my life if I give up this safety and security. Like, I think about how different it would have been, what kind of impact I could have made with my life if I had trusted Jesus in every one of those critical moments, right? I think about how different of a person I would be today, how I would know Jesus differently today if I would have trusted him in every one of those key moments. But the reality is I hate to fail. And it's deeper than that. It's deep, And I hate to admit this because... The truth is, I've failed enough in my life that I'm kinda okay with it at this point. I know it's part of being a human being. I'm not gonna get it all right. What I really hate is for people to see me fail. That's what really bothers me, right? And so, you know, the reality for my life is that sometimes, really, there have been whole seasons in my life where I cared more about pleasing people than I did about living a God-inspired adventure. And um, that kills me. I read a fascinating article uh, several years ago on a plane. And uh, we don't have those, those little magazines in the planes anymore in the back of the seat. I really miss those. I think COVID did those in, but I know some of you guys work for Delta and if you could get them put back in, that would be awesome because <laughs> it made the flight just go better. And I love reading just the random stuff in it, right? And there was an article, it's honestly the only article I ever remember from one of those magazines, but it was about the World Cup. Specifically, it was about penalty kicks in the World Cup. And uh, this whole article is describing the, the psychology behind a penalty kick and what's going on between a goalie and between the kicker. Uh, and this is this is pertinent, we had World Cup's this summer, right? Women's World Cup in July, yes. Uh, that'll be awesome. So. Uh, this article talked about how a penalty kick is, is a make or break moment, right? On average in a World Cup game, there's 2.3 goals scored. So when you have a penalty kick, like this is your opportunity to be a hero. And there's a lot that kind of goes into the thought process. So let me kind of break this down. The article helped me with all this, all right? A couple things that you need to know about this penalty kick. The net that you're kicking this ball towards. First of all, you're 12 yards away from it. Which doesn't seem very far, does it? Like 12 yards. Like, I feel like you and I could do that. Like, it's 12 yards away. And you need to know it's a big net. Like, it is nine or eight yards across, and it's eight feet high. All right? So you, this, this one guy or girl, like, that is a lot of stuff for them to cover, right? So let's pretend like you are representing the USA in a World Cup game, and it's tied and you've got the penalty kick. My question for you is where are you gonna kick it, right? Because you have some options here. Now luckily this article broke down some data that I think you'll find really helpful. You need to understand, first of all, that the ball is gonna be traveling at 80 miles per hour. I mean, not when you kick it, it's not. But (laughs) in a real World Cup game, it's going 80 miles per hour towards that net. Which means what? This goalie who's trying to keep you from being a hero, he has to or she has to decide before you even kick the ball which direction they're gonna jump, right? You understand if they wait to kind of see which direction the ball is going, it's too late. 80 miles an hour from 12 yards away, they just missed it, all right? So they have to decide before they even kick that ball where they're gonna jump. All right, some more data to help you out to know where you're going to kick this ball. You have to understand that 57% of the time, historically, the goalie jumps to the right. Makes sense because most kickers are right-footed, so that's going to be their strong side to kick the ball. 57% of the time, they're going to jump to their right. 41% historically, they're going to jump to their left, which means only 2% of the time, does the goalie actually just stay in the center? So then you're like, okay, well, like, so how many goals get kicked to the center? I'm so glad you asked. Um, A kick to the center is 7% more likely to go in than any other kick, right? You can go left corner, right corner, doesn't matter. 7% more likely if you just kick it to the center that you're gonna actually make the goal. Yet only 17% of all World Cup kicks are actually aimed there. So even though it's 7% more likely to go in if you just kick it to the center, only 17% of all kicks actually get aimed to the center. So then you have to ask, why? If it's 7% more likely, that's a pretty good number there, why wouldn't you just kick it to the center? There's a couple reasons. Number one, as a kicker, you have to understand that mystery is is to your advantage. So if you kicked it to the center every single time, like the goalies are gonna catch on and they're just gonna stand there. But according to this article, there's a much bigger reason that only 17% of kicks are made to the center. And it has to do with embarrassment and shame, all right? So think about this. Again, you're in the World Cup game. You're getting ready to kick the ball, right? And, and, and you're standing over the ball, and you gotta think about what is your true incentive? What is your most powerful thought in that moment? And some of you jump to the conclusion, you're like, well, to win the game. That's the true incentive. I wanna win the game for my country. I wanna, I wanna be the hero in that moment. Yep, you would think that would be the true incentive, but then you're standing over that ball, and the thought comes into your mind, what if? This is one of the 2% times. It's only gonna happen two out of 100 kicks. But what if this is one of those 2% times where the goalie stays right there in the middle? And I kick the ball like a first grader in kickball right back to the guy rolling it. And he stands there and catches the ball and my country loses in that moment and I have to walk off the field in complete embarrassment and shame. Right? That thought. Enters into their mind. If you kick the ball to the corner, um, even if they stop it, it'll seem like your valiant effort just got topped by a more valiant effort, and you're not the hero, but at least you don't walk off the field looking like an idiot. So the kick, just so you know, your kick comes down to what is your greatest incentive? What is your greatest goal? Winning the game for your nation or not looking like an idiot? Aiming towards the center is statistically your best chance, but aiming for a corner is a lot less risky for your reputation. So what's your incentive? All right, let me bring it back to us for just a second, all right? What is your true incentive in life? What is your most powerful thought? What is it that you want more than anything else? Because what I know about you is this, if your greatest incentive in life is um, to not look like an idiot, if your greatest incentive in life is to avoid failure at all cost, if your greatest incentive in life is to make everyone happy and everyone like you, you're not gonna get out of the boat. You're not. You might get to the edge, but you're not stepping out of that boat. But if your greatest incentive and the strongest, most powerful thought you have in your life is that you want to be where Jesus is, right? That you want him to use your one and only life for something great, then you will get out of the boat and you'll take one risk after another in your attempt to follow after him. So why did the other 11 not get out of the boat? We don't know. Didn't say, but I'm going to assume here it's the same reason we don't get out of the boat. It's fear, right? It's a fear of failure. It's a fear of embarrassment. It's a fear of inadequacy. It's a fear of criticism. We could go down the list. So yes, Peter technically failed. He had a public failure. But Peter also is the only one that walked away with a true intimate encounter with Jesus in that moment that would change his life forever. And there's just a couple quick things that he really learned from this encounter. The first one was this, failure does not shape you. The way you respond to failure shapes you. I, I love the way Pastor Brad is always reminding us, failure is not final. It's one of my favorite Uh, little things that he says. I love that. Failure is not final. But the reason failure is not final has everything to do with how you respond to it, right? And Peter responds brilliantly. Like, if you know anything about Peter's life, this was not the last time he got out of the boat. Peter took risk after risk after risk. Peter also failed a lot. That's why we talk about him so much. He fell down again and again and again, but he kept going. He kept pursuing Jesus. He stayed in the game. He responded to failure in a way that it did not shape him. The second thing he learned is that with God, truly anything is possible. And I believe, I believe this so much, I actually got that tattooed on my arm. Anything's possible. I believe that with all of my life, that with God, anything is possible. You think about this. Peter's the only one that day that had that unique experience of walking on water. How cool is that? I mean, that's like, I'd be telling that story at every dinner party. Remember that time I walked on water? That game, Two Truths and a Lie? You would crush it with this one, right? I mean, every time, like, yeah, that's a, that's that's a, listen, Peter was the only one that day who had that experience of knowing that there was something that was totally out of his control, something totally beyond his own human ability He stepped out and tried it anyway, and the God of the universe empowered him to do what was humanly impossible. If you've ever had a moment in your life where you fully surrendered and trusted God, and you know he did something in you and through you that was physically, humanly impossible, you know the rush of what that feels like, right? Peter would never forget this day the rest of his life, and he would always remember with God, anything is possible, And the third thing he walked away with was that in your moment of desperate need, Jesus will be there. Peter sank. And Jesus was immediately there. And I can just imagine that moment of him pulling him up out of the water, right? That that, that eye contact that they had. Peter never had to doubt for the rest of his life that when he tripped up, when he failed, when he fell short, that the God of the universe was right there for him to pick him up in an instant. And he would never forget that. See, that is the joy, that's the excitement that comes along with being a water walker. And that's why I want to invite you to do the same thing. I know the water looks dangerous and it looks scary, but scripture reminds us over and over again that he's with us. So when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then it ends with this. Do not be afraid for I am with you. See, that's the promise. See, the promise never was that you were gonna follow Jesus and live a life where you avoided adversity and you avoided discomfort. That was never the promise. Maybe somebody sold you on that. But, but, and maybe it was even with good intentions, but that was not the promise. The promise was never a life free of adversity and discomfort. The promise was never that everything you do is going to turn to gold. Never the promise. The promise was, if you get out of the boat, he is going to be with you every step of the way. You're not alone in this life. That's the promise. And that's good news. Because I don't know about you, there's a lot of things in my life I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to try it. I'm never going to get out of the boat. I'm never going to get away from my comfort zone if I think I'm by myself. Because I know me, and I know I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the courage. I don't have the skill. I don't have the resources to pull off a lot of what I feel like God's prompted me to do in my life. I, I have to be with someone. It's like uh, several years ago, I jumped out of a plane actually, that's not true. I did not jump out of a plane. I was attached to a guy who jumped out of a plane. That's the way it goes. It's tandem. They don't let you do this kind of thing by yourself. And so I'm attached to some dude I have never met in my life. And he's like, looks at me, he's like, it's time. And I'm like, I don't think it's time. He's like, it's time, right? He's screaming. It's loud in this plane. And, And then he I'm in front, I'm attached to the front of this dude, right? And, and, and he sits down on the edge of the plane, which means I'm not even in the plane anymore. I'm dangling outside of a plane. And then this dude just falls out of the plane. And I'm attached to him. He jumped out of a plane. I just happened to be with him, right? I'm, I'm just so thankful for tandem, right? And that's the way it is. Listen, you never go alone. You're never alone. Right, don't, don't think this is about your courage and your abilities and your reach. you're not alone. It's tandem, God says, I will be with you every step of the way. So I'm not gonna pretend. I'm not gonna pretend in any way to know what your storm is, to know what it is that you're going through, but I, I sense that for a good number of you, there's some step you need to take in your life, right? There's some form of safety and security that you need to be willing to surrender and step out onto the water. And maybe it's a relationship thing and you're in a relationship you know you shouldn't be in. It's toxic. And like, but your boat is approval and acceptance, right? And even though it's messed up and it's toxic, you kind of want to hold on to it because that's your greatest intention, right? Is the safety and security of that relationship. For some of you, it's finances and God's asking you to trust him in that area of your life and it scares you to death because those numbers represent safety and security for you. I don't know what it is. I have no clue but I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna challenge you to be a water walker, to trust, to get out of the boat, to see what God might do in and through your life if you just trust him. Some of you already got out of the boat and you're out on the water right now and you're scared to death. You see the waves and the wind and you're tempted to like run as fast as you can back to the boat and all I wanna do for you today, is just encourage you, keep walking, keep going, keep following Jesus. I have no idea how it's gonna end for you, but keep walking, right? Keep going towards him. Maybe for some of you, this comes down to giving and surrendering to Jesus for the first time and asking him to forgive you of your sins. I don't know what your step is that you need to make, but here's what I know. If you get out of the boat, the storm will be real and you will face adversity and you will face discomfort, right? And because you're human, you're not gonna get it right. And you will sink. But you need to remember that Jesus will be right there to pick you up. And the second thing you need to know is every once in a while, friends, you're gonna walk on water. And God's gonna do something amazing in and through your one and only life. And that is my prayer for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And uh, as we said in the beginning, we don't believe that we're here by accident. We're sitting right now listening to this message and hearing your word taught for a reason and for a purpose. And whether we are in this room or whether we're at the Brighton campus or whether we're watching online right now, God, you have ordained this very moment for us to hear these truths. Because there's some of us that are just kind of cruising along in our life and we're in the boat And we have this illusion of safety and security and we're surviving, but we are not thriving. And today we just needed a little nudge, just a little nudge to loosen up the tight grip we have on safety and security and to trust you in some area of our life that scares us to death. To step out into those waters. And I believe that there are probably dozens of reasons that we should step onto the water. But the most, the single most important reason that we should step out into the water is because the water is where Jesus is. I think that's why Peter, his primary motivation in getting out of that boat was he wanted to be where Jesus was. And so Father God, right now, I pray for a supernatural amount of courage to fill our hearts and our souls, to give us the ability to do what we could never do on our own because we know in this moment that we are not alone, that we will let go of the boat, that we'll take that first step even though we can't see the last step, that we'll begin even though we can't see the end and that we'll trust you, that we'll trust you. Father God, you are a good God and we are so grateful to you. And God, we want to enter into just a time of worship right now where we can, with our voices, declare the truths that we just talked about. And so I pray over these next couple minutes as we worship together, God, that you would continue to fill up our hearts with your courage so we can do what it is that you're asking us to do. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen.